Wherever cancer is, Hancock Health will fight. In any part of you and in all corners of East Central Indiana. From Indianapolis to Greenfield to Knightstown to Greensburg. From hospital rooms to family rooms, we fight. With technology and medicine. With care backed by the wisdom of Mayo Clinic. For you, for your family, and for your future in Decatur County. We fight cancer here. HancockHealth.org slash cancer. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. Very glad to have you with us. As always, we've got a whole bunch to talk about. We'll talk more about what's going on in the Indiana General Assembly that can potentially affect your Second Amendment rights, uh, both on the positive and the negative. So there are certainly some bills introduced invariably by Democrats, but not exclusively, that would seek to restrict your rights. And they get filed every single year. And every single year, we have to both play offense and defense when it comes to the fight for Second Amendment rights. Playing defense includes trying very hard to defeat the bills that restrict our Second Amendment rights. And as usual, the the usual cast of characters have come in there and fi- filed bills. We'll, we'll get into that more m- much later in the show. Early in the show, um, I'm going to have Larry Correa uh, in. Uh, Larry's a very prolific writer. You may likely know him from the Monster Hunter International series. Uh, some, I think, described as urban uh, uh, science fiction. Um, but uh, but a fantastic line of books. He's won multiple awards, pr- primarily in the area of, of fiction and fantasy. However, he has recently published, in fact, it just came out on the 24th of this month, a book entitled In Defense of the Second Amendment. And I got to tell you, I just got my copy Thursday, and I loved reading it. It's a quick read. It's a fun read. Anybody who cares about their Second Amendment rights, you're, you're going to enjoy it. And it was particularly enjoyable for me because a lot of what Larry lays out very, very well, very logically, with with a little bite to it, a little sarcasm, a little poking fun at some of the idiots who completely misportray what gun, gun ownership is really all about in this country, and, and who keep raising the same tired bills and the same tired proposals, usually in response to a mass shooting like we've seen here a couple of times just in the last couple of weeks in California, saying, oh, well, if we just had, and then insert gun control proposal here, whether it's an assault weapon ban, high-capacity magazine ban, mandatory background checks, red flag laws, all those same battles that we fight over and over, Larry takes these apart one by one. And not only is is it a direct rebuttal 
to a lot of the idiocy that we see coming from gun control proponents, it's actually a very nice, concise collection of the rebuttals to each one of those arguments. He also goes into other issues like a a kind of a general description of the law of self-defense. Again, that was near and dear to my heart. If you listen to the Gun Guy Show, you know I teach a class, Essentials of Indiana Gun Law. I call it gun law because it goes well beyond the law of self-defense, but that is clearly the emphasis. And we talk about when you can and cannot use force, including deadly force, under Indiana law. That's a big part of my legal practice. As you know, I've represented multiple clients who have used force to defend themselves, defend others, lawfully and justifiably, often heroically. But a, a very nice Again, more of a generic description, and as Larry clearly says in the book, he's not trying to give you legal advice as to your particular state, since laws vary a bit on issues like duty to retreat versus a stand-your-ground state, which specifically excludes any obligation to retreat before you, you use deadly force. So Larry acknowledges clearly that Different states have different rules, but it's a very nice generic description. To go through that and keep those principles in mind and then get a detailed education on Indiana specifically would be a great way to go. But also, you know, what I get all the time, I get emails, I get calls to the show, I get Facebook messages, Twitter messages, whatnot, where people say, you know, my neighbor is a big gun control nut, and he says, blankety-blank, What's the best way to respond to that? And who knows what the topic might be? An assault weapon ban is a, is, a, is, a, is a consistent one. And I respond to a lot of those. I think oftentimes folks don't think I do anything all day but sit around waiting for someone to email me so I can get, get, translate information to them. And that's what the Gun Guy Show is largely all about. Having said that, I try to respond to those as much as possible, but... Larry's book, again, In Defense of the Second Amendment, is a a very concise, well-organized compilation that not only rebuts so many of those gun control proposals and gun control arguments, but does it in a really logical and entertaining way. And if I sound like a bit of a, a fanboy here, it's because I have become exactly that, having read this book. And we're going to take a little bit of an early break, because when we come back, we'll have Larry join us and talk about his book, what motivated him to write it, what he was trying to accomplish, and uh, get into a little more detail on all those issues. So right now, we're taking a break. By the way, throughout the the, the show, we will, of course, take your calls as well. 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled you're with us. I'm even more thrilled to have Larry Correa, New York Times bestselling author, probably best known for, I think it's fair to say, our urban fantasy series um, called uh, Monster Hunter International. Sold a lot of those. But he's published well over 20 novels, won multiple awards mainly in the area of fiction, as I was mentioning before the break. But here just recently, just this week, Larry has released uh, a nonfiction 
piece of of, of work in, in, in the form of a book that I'm a big fan of. I just read. I just got my copy Thursday, and I tore through it. As I mentioned before the break, it was it was music to my ears. It's a lot of the same things you hear me talk about every week uh, on the Gun Guy Show, and it was right here. It's in one location, and it completely blows out of the water. A lot of the ridiculous arguments we hear over and over and over again from those folks out there uh, who despise your Second Amendment rights and often despise us simply because we're gun owners and really have the agenda of simply trying to take our rights away. So, first of all, welcome on the drivehubler.com hotline, Larry Correa. Thanks so much for joining us, Larry. And Larry, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're glad you're with us. Um is it fair to say, Larry, you're best known for the Monster Hunter International series? Uh, yeah, that's that's my biggest best-selling series, but I also I, I, I do urban fantasy. I do also alternate history superheroes. I do thrillers. Uh, um, I do science fiction. I, I do a comedy series on Audible. <laughs> that's <laughs> I awesome. I mean, I do a little bit of everything, actually. This is my first nonfiction, though. I'm, so I'm, I'm really excited. It's been doing super good this week. Well, good, and 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 I hope it continues to do exactly that. Uh, I I love mine. I tore through it as I just mentioned. Um, but you know, in defense of the Second Amendment, coming from Larry Korea, really shouldn't be a surprise if anybody knows about your background because you've got a long history in the gun industry. Former gun shop owner, um, and, and including uh, having your SOT, meaning you could deal with machine guns and, and suppressors and whatnot, um, as well as being a certified instructor, as I am, uh, and a competitive shooter, whether that's IPSC. IDPA, uh, etc., and all of the above. Um, so you've got a, the background as an instructor. You got the back of having trained thousands of people, as I have, in, in how to exercise their Second Amendment rights effectively and safely and responsibly and legally. Um, so it shouldn't be a surprise you've come out within defense of the Second Amendment. But but tell us what it is in writing this and having it published. Really, you were trying to accomplish. Um, Well, the goal was I wanted to be able to help the people who are already on my side articulate better arguments and arm them with facts, just kind of in one convenient place. And I didn't want to do like a dry academic uh, statistical kind of thing. Uh, I was going for just kind of a colloquial, just regular people having a conversation uh, about the issue. And I also wrote it for, you know, not just people on our side already, but people who are kind of on the fence. This is the book to, like, give to your, your spouse who won't let you have a gun in the house, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I run into that a lot. <laughs> I do, too. I get that call often. That's the reason I chuckle. Um, you know, what I get all the time is I have people contact me and say, Guy, you know, you did a show a month ago or three months ago or whatever it might be, and and you completely rebutted this argument of why there should be an assault weapon ban or, or why uh, red flag laws uh, are useful to society. And, and man, I'm going back through your shows, and I, and, I, and I can't find it. You know, can you point me to that? I got to tell you, I mean, I love it when people go back and listen to my podcast, but I'm not so sure I'm not from now on just going to say, man, you need to check out pages 42 through 62 in Larry Correa's book, because you really lay it all out right here in one spot. I do, yeah, and it's just because I've been involved in this for about 30 years now. I got into this when I was young and, you know, a young, excitable gun nut, and uh, I've heard the same arguments the whole time, like, as you have and as we all have. They just keep bringing up the same tired stuff. Every now and then there's something new. Every few years they'll come up with some new thing that they'll regurgitate. Uh, So I just wanted to, like, have a handy guide to all of them. And so basically I would outline, like, what they're pitching, and uh, then I would go through, like, how it fails logically, how it's failed historically, how it really works in real life, and just kind of, like, pick it apart. 
And I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty sarcastic. I mean, it comes from being a fiction writer. I mean, I'm not an academic. Uh, and, but here's the thing. I, I made sure that every single thing I said in there is sourced, cited. Uh, I, I was all fact-checked. Uh, the the fact-checker did a st- stupendous job. And then the, the publishing house, uh, the attorneys, went over it to make sure everything I said legally was correct. Yep. Because, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure there because I want to be able to give people good information. I don't want to give people bad info that's going to get them refuted. But it's been interesting to me. So the book's been out this week, and I'm getting these one-star reviews from people who clearly haven't read it. And the reviews are just uh, like the same tired stuff. And it's so funny because it's like they didn't read the book to review it. And it's like, ha, I got you. I specifically talked about that and showed why you're wrong. It's because the people that are the anti-gun, uh, like hardcore advocates, they're, they're kind of profoundly dishonest, and they just kind of run with this narrative, regardless of what the actual facts are. So I actually had a lot of fun with it, kind of going through and just poking poking hole, holes in all their arguments and, and rebuting all this stuff. So um, I, I hope I hope it's useful for people. I hope people get some good use out of this. Well, I, I do this for a living, uh, and, uh, and I've been a Second Amendment attorney uh, for a long, long time, practicing law this year, 40 years. And it's useful to me. Um, because it, of how it's a concise collection of multiple well-thought-out logical arguments. Yeah, is there a little wit and a little sarcasm and poking, poking fun at, at some of the idiotic uh, arguments we see against us? Of course. But that's what makes it entertaining, and that doesn't detract from the logic at all and the, and, the, and the factual support for what it is that you lay out here. So, again, I said before the break, uh, uh, you probably didn't hear, but uh, by inter- introducing you, I said if I sound like a bit of a fanboy for this, this book. It's only because I am, uh, because uh, uh, I love the collection of, of useful arguments right here in one spot, and that's why I think it's it's useful for for any gun owner. And I, and I'm hoping that with some of these silly reviews, I, and I've seen some, and and some you've talked about on social media, and I went and looked. What what's fascinating to me? What, I saw one probably the most uh, vitriolic review that I saw. Um, clearly, someone read two pages. Uh, of the forward and didn't get much farther <laughs> and on that basis wrote a review and I started laughing because they clearly hadn't gotten into the substance and by the way Nick Searcy people probably know he played Waylon Givens boss on the great uh, series Justified and, and by all accounts just a really good guy he wrote you a hell um of a forward and 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 well deserved, but uh, but clearly somebody hadn't gotten into the substance of the book whatsoever. They just decided any book called "In Defense of the Second Amendment" has you know has got to be laid waste to on every opportunity. Yeah, it was just kind of a it was just so funny to me because it's such a microcosm of the same debate where anything happens in the news, they got the narrative in advance, regardless of the facts. They have the narrative, and uh, it, it's just kind of it's so funny to me how they do that. And the fact that you like this book so much, to me, is great because uh, you've been putting in the work. Uh, you are one of the footnotes in the book. <laughs> I am. I am. I was, it was awesome. I was. I, I actually I saw something that was related to the, the Greenwood Park Mall shooting where I actually represent uh, the gentleman who was the hero uh, who saved who knows how many lives, countless lives, uh, by taking out a bad guy. And I, and I read something that, that looked familiar in terms of some of the facts behind that shooting. And, and, I, and then I saw there was a footnote, and I said, I said, well, Larry got this exactly right, so whatever his source is— and whatever 
whatever you know what, whatever the basis of this information is uh, I clearly got it right as well and so I flipped back to the back to see uh, what the footnote read and it was me <laughs> so I got I got a big <laughs> kick out of that uh, so I, yeah you, you know you enjoy a book when you're excited about even being in a damn footnote <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I I spent almost as much time writing the book as I did uh, putting together the uh, the data um, and and so I, I like having those footnotes like I said it's like 13 pages of small print I cite everything I can think of and then the fact checkers will well they would go through and they're like well you make this assertion on this page do you have evidence for that and it was a lot of stuff that as a gun guy, I've been doing this my whole life. I, I would just take for granted. It's like everybody knows that, right? Yeah. Um, and so that wasn't good enough. And so, I, by golly, if, if, if it's in there and it's a thing that we take for granted, I will show you where to, <laughs> where to look that up. And uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun putting it together. And I kind of lucked out because how this all came to be was in, it was because of the Bruin decision was pending. Yeah, you bet. Uh, it was looming. And uh, one of the editors at Regnery, the nonfiction publishing house, uh, he had worked with me on the fiction side of the thing. And Regnery wanted to get out a like, comprehensive, you know, guidebook to the, the Second Amendment debate and, like, you know, a help guide. And they said, who do we know who, A, is a really good writer, uh, an experienced writer who can get this book out quickly, and B, really knows guns? And uh, Tony Daniel, the editor, was like, oh, oh, guys, I've got the perfect guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have did this for free. Um, you know, don't, don't tell the publisher that, but this is something I've been passionate about forever. So I'm just glad to get it out there and get it, get it into people's hands and, and get it to be a tool in, in the debate. So well, yeah, I'm, I'm really pumped. Yeah, well, I'll tell you one of my, one of my thoughts upon uh, finishing the book and setting it down is that, uh, and, and, and this, this this would be a nice bump for sales as well. But my first thought is that somebody ought to start a GoFundMe or some kind of a, a collection out there uh, to where we could uh, purchase 500 and some odd copies of this and send them to every single member in the House of Representatives in the Senate um, and, and in Washington. And, of course, you know, we know a, a big chunk of those are going to th- – throw it straight in the trash but for for anybody interested in actual facts and logic when it comes to the gun control debate uh, this this is exactly that and, and and I would love the idea that some number of politicians in Washington and, and in particular those that, that are on our side to, to a large degree anyway could be armed with these kind of arguments because it, it, we don't hear enough of of exactly that coming from our, our, our elected officials. That would be really nice. And it's interesting, too, because like I try real hard in the book not to get too uh, too p- political. And I can't, I can't say I didn't get political because it's clearly a political debate. But I want to be too much this side good, this side evil. Except the problem is I, I actually had some liberal gun owners who were uh, a little mad at me because they think, well, you paint with a broad brush. And I was like, well, when 99 point something you know, of your elected representatives are anti-gun, and a pro-gun elected Democrat in Congress is, you know, seen more rarely than Bigfoot. I can't, you know, put that caveat every single time I'm talking about actual political activity. But I do call out the the Republicans too, uh, specifically like when I get to the, the section on red flag locks, because that was the most at the time of writing this. That was the most recent uh, legislative action. We had a lot of Republican senators uh, go along with uh, the red flag funding. Uh, and just completely missing the point of all the different ways it could be abused, all the different ways it could be used to take away people's constitutional rights with no due process. Uh, and it was it was just really sad to see that. So I, I, I try to be fair and I try to call out um, 
bad bad decision making on both sides. Uh, and then I have no mercy for the people who are like the willfully uh, dishonest, destructive. I, I, in the book, I refer to them as the vultures. Yes. And so not all anti-gun people are vultures. But when I talk about the vultures, it's the people that are like perched, waiting for carnage. Yes. Uh, and then when there's blood, they swoop in. And on those people, I, I, have, I have no mercy. And I call out many by name, and I provide a lot of examples of the stuff they do. Uh, oh, yeah, and speaking in the Greenwood, uh, Greenwood Park Mall, I specifically talked about Shannon Watts' reaction to that event. Because um, they, were, they were sad. They were upset um, on Twitter that, that, that there hadn't been enough death and destruction. And, and even some of them, and I quoted them in the book, and uh, they were upset that, well, this, this kid took a gun to the mall, so who's the real bad guy? Didn't right. they both take guns to the mall? I, I was it, it blew me away. It was so crazy. Yeah, you know, I took on Shannon Watts on Twitter uh, that led her to delete one particular tweet um, that that I think you actually mentioned in the book, and that is um, she had said basically it's a sad day in America, and I'm paraphrasing. Uh, it's a sad day in America when the gun nuts are actually excited about a 22 year old illegally taking a gun to a mall uh, and 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 engaged in a shooting only after three innocent people died. And so she's talking about, you know, heroism and putting uh, Eli Dickin putting himself in harm's way to save who knows how many lives. Bad guy had over 100 rounds uh, in, 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 in rifle magazines on him when that threat was stopped. Um, and it was a sad day in America because Eli Dickin uh, saved countless lives. And she only wanted to focus uh, on the fact that he had a gun in the mall. And as you say, specifically in the book, in Indiana and many other places, they can have a no gun policy all they want, just like they can have a no Mask policy or a no shirt, no shoes, no service policy. Uh, you violate their policy, they can ask you to leave. If you leave, it's no harm, no foul. Uh, but you don't break a law by ignoring a no gun policy. So she said, you know, illegally carrying a gun in the mall, and uh, and I responded directly to her and I said, let me explain the a legal concept called defamation per se. Defamation per se is falsely accusing someone of a crime. Eli Dickin committed no crime in Indiana. I'm his lawyer. You may want to reconsider leaving this uh, on your Twitter feed. And poof, about 20 seconds later, it disappeared. Yeah, that's doing that is doing community service right there. That is that is some, I mean, that's quality that you got her to take that down. <laughs> well, well I, I was just, go ahead, Larry. I'm sorry. I was just saying, I, was, I was just so blown away by, by, by the attitude of this. And I've seen it over and over and everybody who's involved in this has seen it over and over. I mean, I've got one of the openings. I talk about the, the visceral reaction we all have now because we've been conditioned to this, that there's an event on the news and we know even before there's any facts of the case available, we're getting blamed. Um, we saw it this week. Like, like, so during the, the week my book came out, I, I've been on a ton of radio interviews and I was watching this kind of unfold in real time. So we have these events in California immediately they take to the news, the vultures, you know, Adam Schiff, there's a perfect example. He gets on there and he starts talking about how this is clearly, you know, bigotry or I need to say clearly, I'm paraphrasing also. I don't want to like, you know, say anything defamatory here, but, but basically he was dancing in the blood that like, this shows that there's bigotry against Asians and this shows why we need an assault weapons ban and so on and so forth. It is just the same old, same old, cause they already have all the stuff in plan. Any, anything that they, uh, they propose when emotions are high, it's already been planned, and it has, you know, the laws are already, they're already written. They're ready to roll out in case of, of a sufficient tragedy to get enough people emotional. So none of these are ever written in a way to, like, actually 
deal with that particular event. But then as it came out, everything I predicted in the book about the pattern they follow, they followed. Yep. So events change. Uh, the information comes out. It doesn't fit their narrative. Uh, the shooter wasn't a you know white uh, Trump voter, uh, and the weapon he used has been illegal in California since like yeah, I think the nineties. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> and uh, and so the, the guys had this you know gun that's been illegal in that state for thirty years. He used it, and so everything was wrong. But it doesn't matter. They never. It's not really like they go back and they retract and they say, "Oh, sorry, we're wrong. We." Uh, we def- we insulted uh, the integrity and honor and decency of, of half the country. Uh, we apologize for our mistake. No, they never do that. They just double down and then then they wait for the next one and the next one. And they, if if the event fits their narrative, then by golly, it's going to be flogged in the news for months, months on end. It'll dominate the news cycle because it's all about just getting some getting some mileage out of it for them. Well, precisely uh, right. And, you know, and one thing that that, that I was borderline shocked to see and and it really was uh, uh an, an issue uh that you raise and discuss in the book as well but the new york times actually called me about a week ago and um uh, rep- the reporter uh a guy named uh, serge kovaleski and he, he called me and he said hey guy you know i understand you represent eli Dickin, the hero in Greenwood, and and you know we went on from there. But he asked me a series of questions, and the the premise behind his questions were all: um, Does it appear that more and more people are willing to take on the role of standing up and protecting themselves and others? And the context was mass shootings, um, but but obviously it's broader than that. When we see now multiple instances of heroic bystanders stepping up and saving lives, do, do, he wanted to know if I thought that was going to lead to more and more people carrying guns and being, will, being willing to step in uh, to that role. But even the fact that the New York Times was asking me that question was something that about made my jaw hit the floor. The article came out, and I don't know if you've seen it, but and of course they they disregard ninety nine percent of what I said and most specifically I made a point that you make in your book, which is uh, talking about the most recent California situation and where a, an unarmed bystander actually helped wrestle the gun away from this guy. But in the context of the of the, of the California shooting, they had Shannon Watts quoted in there say, "Oh well, of course we need more gun control and we need this ban and we need that ban." The guy came back to me and asked me, and I said, "You know, we're talking about California, right? And we're, we're talking about California is an absolute cornucopia of." gun control. There's no one, there's nothing on Shannon Watts' most fond wish list that California hadn't already done. You name it, mandatory background checks on private sales, red flag laws, assault weapon ban, high capacity magazine ban. The, the, the complete wish list for any gun control proponent they already have in California, what additional, what one more law would, would have made a difference in California. And the guy, wow, that's a really good point. He actually wrote up his notes from our conversation and sent them to me, and, and he got, him everything, got everything right. It was dead on. I go, yep, that's good, awesome. And then and as soon as, I, uh, as, soon as I, I, I put the phone down from responding to him, I went, I can't believe the New York Times is actually going to publish that point. And guess what? They sure as hell did not. He wrote it into the article and then told me his uh, editors uh, trashed it all. And, and, and he had like one line from me that was uh, very much window dressing. But the fact that the New York Times published that article that proposed the idea that more and more people are willing to step up and defend themselves and others and being willing to carry a gun after seeing heroes save lives in potential mass shootings was shocking to me that we saw that from that publication. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fantastic because I do think like I, I've talked about this is we are winning the culture war. 
Um, I, I and every time there's an instance like that where it's, you know the proverbial good guy with a gun, the the vultures always say, "Well, the, the good guy with the gun is a myth." Right. But then we we trot out example after example after example, and I, I go into the book you know a lot of different types of crime, but I, mean, I spend a lot inordinate amount of time statistically on the mass shootings just because those are the ones that you know grab the headlines and they get talked a lot about. But as you know, it always comes down to. A violent response and that violent response can either be immediate because somebody who's already there or that violent response could be from when the cops come in 15 minutes or an hour and a half in the case of a all day or whatever it takes time yeah. and so if you somebody there it's just simple logistics and a lot of people have kind of glommed onto that you know 2020 was the year that everybody was like first-time buyers of guns skyrocketed across all demographics and it was all because of people watching the breakdown of the system that they had faith in, that they think, okay, I, I'll just, I don't need a gun. I'll just call 911. Cops will come save me. 2020 rolls around. Uh, cities are on fire. People are calling 911. And the cops are like, well, you know, good luck. You're on your own. We can't come. And that's why we had this just explosion of gun purchasing. We we absolutely and, did. And and yeah, now, as I've been saying for years on the mass shooting issue, uh, the timing and duration of a mass shooting is always directly dependent on when the second gun arrives. And uh, and 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 I and you you lay out that in a lot of detail in the book, Larry. I have blown way past the bottom of the hour. I've got producer Carl giving me the evil eye over here, but I I, I just uh, can't get enough of this discussion. Book is outstanding. Thanks so much for coming on the Gun Guy Show here this evening. Well, thanks, Guy. I really I really appreciate it. Thank you. All righty. Ah, oh, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on ninety three WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Uh, thanks again to Larry Correa uh, for coming on the show. I, I'm I'm excited about this book. I'm excited about having it out there. I'm excited about it being a resource uh, to those of us who uh, get engaged in the Second Amendment debate. And uh, it, it really is uh, uh, an outstanding piece of work. Uh, we're going to shift the focus to talk a little bit more about Indiana. And in fact, coming up a little after the break at 6, I'm going to have uh, my friend Chris Lee from NSSF. NSSF is the National Shooting Sports Foundation. And that really is the 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 organization representing the the gun industry on a national basis. You know, a lot of times, you know, folks out there criticizing NRAs, well, NRA is just a, you know, a mouthpiece for people trying to sell guns. Well, not really. NRA is the grassroots organization and a membership uh, is primarily made up of individuals. Uh, NSSF is the industry organization uh, representing not just gun manufacturers, but uh, gun uh, retail stores uh, and other organizations like shooting ranges and, and, and others that, are, that have businesses associated with the exercise of Second Amendment rights. Chris and I both testified uh, in favor of a bill here this last week. And it's an interesting bill. It's not as, as broad as I would like to see it, but it has some advantages. But the, the NSSF does a, does a great job of being an advocate uh, for the Second Amendment-related uh, uh, businesses out there uh, that are its members. They put on the SHOT Show. If you haven't uh, been to that, uh, again, it's primarily for members of the industry, so you have to... Um, to have that connection to go out there, um, but it's uh, it's in Vegas every year. Uh, it, it, it just wrapped up. A lot of a lot of my my friends and colleagues were out there uh, having a great time. 
checking out all the the new releases, new technology, new products. Uh, interestingly enough, the ATF had a booth at Shot Show, and uh, and they they had that on their Facebook page. And so the ATF said, you know, hey, hey, uh, check us out. Come, you know, stop by and say hi to the ATF at Shot Show. And I, and, and their booth. I got to tell you, you, you you go find this on Facebook. Just go to the ATF page. You have to scroll down a little bit because uh, it was at the beginning of the show here about a week ago. Um, but their booth display had this huge face of I, who, who was apparently Elliot Ness, the old G man. But it's just this huge close-up of his face, and it talked about the legacy of, of you know federal law enforcement. But it was so reminiscent of the scene from 1984, where the guy on the big video screen—it's a real close-up of his face—and you know, and he's he's lecturing, you know, comply, comply, you know, obey, obey, and 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 it looked just like that. In fact, I posted an image of that in a response to their Facebook post. Uh, but what I got the most the, the most responses to was I actually uh, posted in response to them saying they were, they were going to be at SHOT Show, which, again, is a lot of fun. It's in Vegas, uh, and it's a great uh, gathering of folks with, of like minds, primarily. The ATF was going, too. And I said, I said man, this kind of reminds me of your ex-wife coming to your bachelor party. <laughs> <laughs> and I got hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of likes on that, which was a lot of fun. I'll tell you, we got a short segment. We're taking a break. We'll be back with another very short segment. But I got to tell you, the priority here this first hour um, was having Larry Korea on. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. We'll be right back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for another very short segment here. Uh, but hey, uh, that's quite all right. Tell you what, let's go to the fun lines. Our buddy Buzz has called in. Buzz, what do you got for us? Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, Thursday, you were talking about Governor Nome having one of her administrative agencies write up a couple of bills that they took straight to the floor and they got voted on. Yeah. Okay. Isn't that exactly what we don't want the ATF or someone like that to start getting into the habit of doing? Oh, I, I actually completely disagree, Buzz. I know it's a question, uh, but to the extent uh, it's a rhetorical question, um, the idea that what ATF would try to do to restrict our rights. Like, let's talk about this ridiculous brace, uh, pistol brace uh, uh, ruling they put out. They do that through administrative rulemaking. And through their administrative rulemaking, which doesn't require any votes in Congress, they can make you and I felons. And and, and they shouldn't be able to. And it's going to be challenged in court. And it may likely be successfully challenged. But the idea that they would back off of administrative rulemaking, which they can do by executive fiat, they can do completely unilaterally. And the idea they would move away from that and say, no, these are things that really require a vote in Congress and propose bills in Congress that Congress would have to vote to approve. That'd be a hell of a lot better than the situation we find ourselves in now, because they can they can submit bills all they want to. Congress still has to vote them up or down, and that's why, you know, people were were upset about Christy Nome having one of her executive agencies write up a a, a a bill that reduced taxes in South Dakota. One of the reasons I'm a Christy Nome fan. 
they were reducing taxes for taxpayers in South Dakota. The agency wrote it up and they got a vote in the legislature in South Dakota, and the legislators had to vote for it. I'm fine with that. They can propose whatever they propose if Congress has to pass it before it can put you and me in prison. That's a hell of a lot better than ATF just snapping its fingers and being able to put us in jail for 10 years. Tell you what, at the top of the hour, it's time to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Guy Rolford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. And welcome back for hour number two of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled you're with us. And as I mentioned uh, last week and, and the week before, we are right in the middle of the legislative session here in Indiana. Uh, somewhat early stages. It is a budget year, so the session's a little longer uh, than usual. And obviously, uh, budget issues will command a lot of that time. But as usual, really, just like every year, we're playing both offense and defense in the Indiana General Assembly. You know, last year we had constitutional carry uh, take up an awful lot of, of time and attention and focus. Uh, Lord knows I spent an incredible large number of, t- of hours, uh, a whole bunch of time in the General Assembly fighting for constitutional carry, and we eventually got that done. And a lot of folks, I think, kind of expected us to take a year off, um, but oh, hell no, there's too much going on in particular to play defense on, but also there are some pro two-way bills out there as well. And uh, and I'm, I'm very pleased to have uh, join us on the show uh, my friend Chris Lee. I've known Chris for quite a while. Uh, Chris is with the National Shooting Sports Foundation, uh, and, uh, and I've worked with Chris on a number of legislative issues. Uh, and Chris, first of all, welcome to the Gun Guy Show, buddy. I, welcome back, I should say. You've, not your first rodeo. No, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me, Guy. It was good to see you at the Statehouse this week. Yeah, absolutely. So, first of all, let, let, for people who aren't familiar, uh, what is the NSSF, and, and, and what really is the mission of NSSF? Right. So, NSSF is the Firearm Industry Trade Association across the country. Um, we represent about 10,000 member um, firearm industry businesses. So that, that's everything from, you know, the big manufacturers like Smith & Wesson down to your local gun shops, your local ranges, um, even firearm media um, is included in our membership. Uh, we also um, are the owner of SHOT Show. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware of SHOT Show. It's where a lot of new products are unveiled each year. Um, it, it wrapped up, actually, SHOT Show wrapped up last week out in Las Vegas. We're one of the five largest trade shows out there in Vegas, and this was the largest SHOT Show ever. Um, so it's good to see all the new products and a lot of our industry members. But the way we really differ from other gun groups that people typically think of is that we represent gun business, um, whereas other gun groups, um, firearm rights groups, represent gun owners. That's the big difference. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. I've, I've uh I've gotten a, uh, I've given myself a chuckle now and then when you know I'll be uh, I'll be talking uh, or debating some anti-gun people and and uh, they'll say, well, you're a you're a member of the NRA and NRA is just 
NRA is just a, a you know a mouthpiece for 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 the business trying to sell guns. I go, no, that's NSSF. <laughs> but yeah. but but to the extent you you represent the retailers and manufacturers, obviously that is a big part of it. And uh, and and Lord knows that that's an industry that has been under constant attack. Uh, from a variety of sources, including in legislatures across the country and including in Congress. Um, so they need, the gun industry needs a strong industry organization like NSSF, and, and I'm thrilled they're out there, and I'm thrilled with the, the job they've done. Um, what what are some of the priorities, if you look across the whole landscape, um, and, and I know you've got legislative responsibilities uh, here in Indiana and elsewhere, but when you look across the landscape out there, what are some uh, priorities that NSSF is looking at right now? Right. So NSSF has a, a great federal team um, in D.C. working on behalf of the industry every day, uh, but I only handle state um, legislative affairs. So I'm going I'm to stick to talking about the state issues that we're working on. Um, and just so everyone knows, I cover eight states throughout the Midwest, but I'm a, I'm a native Hoosier, um, love Indiana, and I worked for Congresswoman Walorski up in northern Indiana for five years. Oh, wow. Um, so know Indiana very well. And, of course, um, this past year was, it was a difficult one with um, Congresswoman Walorski's, you know, car accident, tragic accident. Exactly. Um, but... Anyway, it's a privilege now um, to represent the firearm industry. I've been in this role since about 2019. And the issue that I, I really want to focus on today um, is um, dealing with discrimination against the firearm industry. And that's something that we've been working on the last three years across the country. But there are other issues that we're working on right now. Um, a big one right now you've probably seen is that a lot of these um, very far left states are trying to um, pass laws that would allow individuals um, to sue the, the firearm industry directly. So there, we have a, a federal liability shield um, called the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. And, and a lot of states, unfortunately, are trying to, they, they think that they know a way around that. They think they know a way to go after that liability shield and, and allow individuals to, to sue the, the firearm industry every time there's a, there's a shooting even if we acted lawfully through the, the entire purchase of the firearm. Um, so that's a big deal for us is pushing back on those attacks and also working in states to pass state liability shields like Indiana already has. So that, that's a big priority that we're working on. Another one is passing emergency power protections to make sure that in, in cases like COVID, governors like Governor Whitmer up in Michigan can't go around and shut down gun, gun shops um, during an emergency. So we were, we were happy to work with some partners in Ohio um, to get uh, emergency power protections in place um, this past session. So that was a big victory. Um, and really, those are the two big ones that I'm working on here in the Midwest. Um, but like I said, right now, our focus is it has to be pushing back on this discrimination that the industry um, is facing. Um, I don't know if you talked about it at all on uh, you know earlier in your show. Um, so let me know how far back you want me to go. But oh no, but the discrimination. I, it, the, yeah, you're right where we're right where where we want you to be, Chris, um, because that's exactly what I want to talk about. You, you and I uh, both testified in favor of House Bill. I believe it was 1008. Um, yep. uh, brought by uh, representatives Manning and Speedy, um, uh, who are uh, the chair and co-chair uh, of uh, the finance committee, uh, and that would, would, which works nicely since that's where the bill was heard, uh, and they were uh, the author and co-author on the bill as well. But uh, you, know, you and I both testified in favor of that. What what 
and, and obviously this is a, a a bill that NSSF supports, the gun industry supports. What is it that we're, that we're trying to accomplish with um, House Bill 1008? Right. So back about a decade ago now, 11 years ago, um, the Obama administration really worked with the Justice Department um, to encourage banks to cut off services to the firearm industry. And it took a little while for that to take off. But in about 2016, 2017, we started to have big banks shut down services to the firearm industry. And um, some of the big ones, like Citigroup, from the beginning, they, they worked to recruit other banks and worked to recruit other industries to join them in, in shutting down services to the firearm industry. So, you know, they weren't banning magazines and they weren't banning uh, modern sporting rifles in Congress. So they said, we're going we're gonna to ban them on our own using our, our money and influence in the market. So, Anyway, um, today, the firearm industry is discriminated against by credit processors, banks, insurance providers. And most recently, in um, this past July, we had 10 trucking companies shut down services to the firearm industry after Senate Democrats wrote a letter just encouraging them to shut down services to the firearm industry. And it's not just guns that they're not shipping now. Um, It's firearm parts ammunition, firearm accessories. So just to give you a couple examples, um, Apple Pay um, says you can't incorporate Apple Pay in, into any website involved that um, sells firearms, weapons, or ammunition. Um, Citigroup will require that um, people that work with them do not sell firearms to someone who hasn't passed a background check, okay? And they um, restrict, they want, they want the firearm industry to restrict the sale of firearms for individuals under the age of 21, even when that's, you know, legal um, with, um, you know, certain types of firearms. And um, City Group won't allow the firearm industry working with them to sell what they call high capacity magazines, but it ends up just being pretty much any magazine, you know, which are legal in most states. Um, Old Dominion Freight says we will not accept firearms, firearm component parts for shipping. And Square says that they, you can't um, use Square to process firearm, firearm parts or hardware or ammunition um, purchases. So this goes on. I mean, that, that's four examples. But the list, unfortunately, we're up to where really you can't keep track of the list. Um, we got to the point where there were dozens on the list. And now it's just it's it's. You can't keep track of it. There's new companies every day boycotting the firearm industry in the second amendment. In America, it's a big issue. So we, as an industry, said we have to push back on this. And one way we wanted to do that, um, we called it the Firearm Industry Non-Discrimination Act, the FIND Act. And we ran that bill working with legislative partners in a lot of states um, last couple of years. And um, essentially all that bill said was if you are a company that boycotts the, the firearm industry in the second amendment, then we as a state will not give contracts to you. So these companies do a lot of business for the state. You know, states have a lot of money and they do a lot of business with companies. So it's a way of saying, you know, you can continue to have your, your um, discriminatory policies if you want, no matter how wrong they are. But if you are discriminating against the second amendment with your company policies, then we as a state aren't going to do business with you. You're not going to take taxpayer dollars through contracts any longer. And Texas passed that law actually a year and a half ago. And um, a lot of banks had to step away from state business. But Citigroup, who, like I said, is like the original 
um, one of the original boycotters of the firearm industry. Um, they said, oh, no, we're in compliance with this law. And we had a big victory a week ago when um, the gov- or the attorney general in Texas uh, concluded an investigation and said, yes, you do boycott the firearm industry. The state will no longer do, do business with you. So that was our original find act. Um, and I know, Guy, you remember you testified on that. We had that bill in Indiana last year. Yeah. Um, a lot of the focus was on constitutional carry. Um, so that bill did not go anywhere, unfortunately. But we noticed last year that there were a lot of similar bills being introduced um, for other industries like the fossil fuel industry. So what we think, you know, we're, we're on special footing uh, because we're the only industry necessary to a constitutional right. Um, you know, energy security is important. Border security is important. Food security is important. And right now we see fossil fuel industry. We see the border, the private border security companies being discriminated against by people that want open borders. We see ag, animal agriculture being discriminated against by big companies that are being pressured by groups like PETA um, and, and HSUS. So anyway, we, we formed a coalition with these other groups and created, a, we're just calling it the anti-ESG bill. And I've seen, there's been over about, there's been over 70 anti-ESG bills introduced across the country in the last three weeks. So uh, big movement right now, pushing back on ESG. And Guy, if you think, do you want to explain what ESG is or do you want me to go into that? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go into that maybe a little bit after the break, Chris. Unfortunately, I'm okay. up against uh, a, a break I, I need to take, um, but yeah. I'll, I'll get into that a little bit. But last question before, before we let you go um, is what do you think the prospects are for this year's bill? So th- this year's bill is a little bit different in that it doesn't deal with state contracts. It deals with state investments. Um, and this is specific to Indiana. A lot of states are going after contracts. But this bill says if you boycott one of those industries that I just mentioned um, and you're managing a large fund, so we see BlackRock, Vanguard, some of these big fund managers who actually are majority owner of the majority of the S&P 500, um, we see them pushing down these policies and boycotting the firearm industry. So it, all, all this bill says is that if you are a fund manager managing state investments, which, which is worth billions of dollars, Indiana's investments are worth billions of dollars. Um, if you're a fund manager and you're pushing ESG over making money for the state of Indiana and Indiana taxpayers, then Indiana will no longer no longer allow you to manage their money, and Indiana will no longer invest in you. So it's kind of a little bit more of an indirect way to push back on on these discriminatory policies than the um, than the contract bill might have been. But we're we're extremely supportive. We appreciate Representative Manning and Representative Speedy's leadership on this issue, and it's a great way to push that push down really you know at the top, push down on these ESG policies that are anti-American and anti-Hoosier. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, before we let you go, let's just define that term. What's ESG stand for? Right. So e, the E stands for environmental. So that would mean you're not going to do uh, business with oil and gas companies any longer. The S would stand for um, social. And that could you know, mean that you're not going to do business with companies that um, push transgender activism or um, pro-abortion policies or um, – and, and then the, that's where the firearm industry would fall under. The, the mm-hmm. firearm discrimination would fall under social. So it would say, if you know, if you are part of the firearm industry, we're going to um, not do business with you. And then governance, governance um, can mean things like employee race quotas, 
um, and social credit scores, things like that. So ESG, Environmental Social Governance, is yeah. what it stands for. And the way I've summarized that, Chris, is uh, essentially their liberal woke policies. <laughs> it's kind of exactly. in, in, in a nutshell. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I've blown what past is. the quarter hour, Chris, but I'm a big supporter <laughs> of you and of NSSF. I was pleased to be there to also support the bill. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that after the break. But thanks so much for calling in and joining us here on The Gun Guy Show. Thanks for having me. Um, have a great weekend. Absolutely. All right, we are taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Thanks again to Chris Lee for calling in, talking about the good work NSSF is doing. Uh, that's the National Shooting Sports Foundation. And... Uh, and yeah, the bill that he and I both testified in favor of really deals with discrimination by the financial industry against gun-related businesses. It's broader than that, as he went into, and some other industries like fossil fuels that are getting targeted by these woke policies. Um, and 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 for that reason, it's 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 a solid bill. What I like about it, it was kind of interesting because one of the Democrats, when I testified in favor of the of this bill. One of the Democrats on the Finance Committee asked me, thinking he had a good gotcha, he said, uh, he said, well, would you say you're uh, a supporter of the free enter- enterprise system? Would you say you're a supporter of, uh, you know, independent uh, businesses being able to conduct their business without government intrusion? Aha. Is he figured he had me one way or the other there. And I said, I absolutely am. Uh, I'm very much in favor of free enterprise and, and the idea of keeping government uh, out of the business and out of the pocket of private businesses as much as possible. But I have no problem reconciling that with this particular bill because it's not government telling a business how to function. It's not even telling businesses to not discriminate against the firearm industry as well as some of these other targeted industries. It's saying, you do business, Mr. Financial Institution, however you'd like to do business, make your own decisions. But where you are making financial decisions based on these woke liberal policies, the state of Indiana will simply not reward you by doing business with you, in particular in in hiring you to manage a whole bunch of the state's money in the form of a pension plan and various pension plans that the state of Indiana has for state employees. It's a whole billions of dollars we're talking about. So it's do what you want to do. And that's exactly what I said. I said, you can conduct your business however you want to conduct it. But we're creating one additional criterion that you may want to consider in deciding whether you're going to have these woke policies that cause you then to discriminate against a lawful business or several. And he just sort of looked disappointed and nodded and, and didn't follow up because that's exactly the way I approach it. It's not the state of Indiana telling anybody what to do in terms of how to conduct their business. But but the degree of discrimination and the reason that I like the broader bill we had last year better, this is a good starting point. House Bill 1008 this year. But I like the broader bill we've had the last two years that we couldn't get out of the Senate Banking and Finance Committee, then chaired by uh, 
Senator Andy Zay. The reason I like the broader bill better is it, it, it went on to say that if you have these discriminatory practices, the state of Indiana will not reward you by entering into any contracts with you. Including, for instance, uh, you doing the credit card processing when people want to use a credit card to some, for some payment to the state. And pay for your license plates, by way of example. It was much broader and more impactful, and, and, it, and, and it went to credit card processors as well as retail bankers. And let me tell you why I was so motivated to do that. Is if you recall, it's probably been a couple of years now. Well, in fact, it was still during COVID. And I had what we're going to have again here in a, in a couple of weeks. It, I called it the gun shop roundtable. And I had five owners of gun shops who all were friends of mine, but you know, folks I've worked with, folks I've, I've shopped with, and folks I support, in some cases, folks I advertise for. And we had them all in here in the studio. We had every microphone filled up, and these were all owners of gun shops. And I was talking about you know, what they're seeing in their industry, what challenges they were facing running a gun store. And this was as COVID was still ongoing and all the challenges associated with supply chain. I mean, you remember what it was like trying to find ammunition during COVID? It was damn hard. They just didn't have it. When retailers had a little bit of ammo, a lot of them were holding it back and only selling it to folks who were also buying a gun. Why? Because they didn't want to sell people guns that they couldn't load, that they couldn't put ammo in. I, I, my, my friends at Indy Arms told me that their range business dropped off dramatically because people either didn't have ammo, couldn't find ammo, or didn't want to shoot the ammo they had. So the firing range there, they have both a pistol and a rifle range. I've shot there many, many times. I've taught a heck of a lot of classes there. It, it, it completely fell off. So I'm thinking, you know, we're talking about Challenges relating to COVID, both for firearm supply, ammunition supply, prices, because when there's very little of something, whether it's gun, ammo, other accessories or whatnot, when there's very little of something, what happens to the price? That's just basic economics, supply and demand. So we're talking through those issues with this roundtable. At one point, I said, you know what? I've had something happen to me where credit card processors will not do business with me simply because I'm a firearms instructor. Oh no, we don't want to. We don't want to do any business with with. And, and this is a quote I got from one credit card processor that said, "We don't want to do business with 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 anyone you know associated with a company connected to gun violence." They said that about me selling my book, "Gun Safety and Cleaning for Dummies." Gun safety. And cleaning for dummies. It's a book on how people can safely handle and store their firearms. It's trying to keep people safe. And they associate that with gun violence? Are you kidding me? But anyway, I, I, during the roundtable, when I had the five gun shop owners sitting here, I said, who here has had a problem being discriminated against by a bank or a credit card company? And all five hands shot up. And then, and they commenced then, all five of them, to tell their horror stories. One gentleman said he had three different banks just close his accounts. Just close them. Sent him a, 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 a certified letter with, with checks for the balances. 
saying your account's closed, we don't want to do business with you anymore. Credit card processors over and over. Now they're running into problems with shipping companies, as you heard Chris Lee from NSSF mention. So it is a real issue. This broad, excuse me, this bill this year, House Bill 1008, isn't as broad as we would like to have it. But it's definitely a start, and I strongly commend Representative Speedy and Manning for, for pushing this uh, and for having a what I thought was a, a, a very productive hearing on the bill last week. It has not been voted on in committee yet, uh, and they're going to consider some amendments potentially. I actually, actually asked them to consider an amendment to broaden it to include retail banking and credit card processing. And they kind of looked at each other. A couple of them did, like they might be interested. I'm not sure um, that we can get it pushed that far. But that was the bill the last couple of years. I'd like to see this bill amended to do exactly the same thing. In the meantime, it's time to take a break. We'll be right back. We're going to continue to take your calls, 317-239-9393. You want to talk about what's going on in the legislature? You want to talk about what's going on at ATF or in Congress? Uh, give us a call. You can ask those questions or others, 317-239-9393. We'll be right back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show. Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. So we have a whole series of completely idiotic bills introduced. I'll be talking more about those in future shows, but there are some positive ones as well. Um, including, and I hope to to even have representative, new representative Craig Haggard, guy I've known for a long time, used to actually work for NRA, and he and I worked together closely when he was in that capacity, uh, but he is now um, uh, a representative. He just elected this year. We've had him on the show before, but he has a, a House bill, 1323. We're going to talk a little bit about that. It's designed to protect your information that's held by the Indiana State Police to the extent that you have an Indiana licensed carry handgun. That's important. That's solid. And it specifically puts restrictions on when any of that information can be released to federal agencies who may very likely want it for nefarious purposes, or at least purposes that you and I wouldn't necessarily trust. Craig's introduced that bill. It's a solid bill. We're going to talk more about that here in just a bit. But there are others. You know, we've had a self-defense bill that would change a ridiculous rule that we have in Indiana. And that is that if I'm standing in front of my business, for instance, just one example, in in the middle of a riot, because we had this happen. If I'm in front of my business in the middle of a riot and somebody walks up to firebomb my business, walking up with a lit Molotov cocktail, And their intent, obviously, is to throw that through the window of my business, destroy my business, destroy my livelihood. If they're only threatening my business, they're not directly threatening me or another person. In Indiana, if I point my gun at them, I don't shoot them. I just point my gun at them and say, no, you're not going to destroy my business because of one particular court decision we have in Indiana that says you can never use deadly force Merely to protect your property. I'm not talking about your home. I'm talking about your other property besides your home. You can never use deadly force to protect mere property, and that pointing a gun constitutes the use of deadly force, according to the Indiana Court of Appeals. So pointing my gun to protect my property puts me in prison for a felony in Indiana, particularly when I'm just trying to 
defend my property like my business. That's ridiculous. That's nuts. Jim Lucas is running a bill that would fix that. And it would find, define reasonable force that you can use to protect your property to include the pointing of a loaded or unloaded gun. Yeah, we can discuss tactics and, 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 and strategy and what's smart and what's not smart. Because I still can't shoot them if they're only threatening my property and not my health and safety or anyone else. So the question becomes, do you really want to be pointing guns at people that you can't shoot? But that's not the point with respect to this bill. The point is that if I do that and I decide that's a sound decision under the circumstances, for whatever reason, I shouldn't go to jail for simply protecting my business that's a source of my livelihood. That's an important bill. Wendy McNamara, Representative Wendy McNamara, is chairman of the Courts and Criminal Code Committee, and we haven't gotten her to hear that bill in the last two years. We're hoping to uh, to do that this year because Jim Lucas has filed that bill again. We're coming up on the quarter hour. We're going to take a break. We come back. I hope to have Representative Craig Haggard. This is kind of a spontaneous interview, but Craig said he's willing to do it. So we're hoping to have Craig Haggard on to, talk, to discuss his bill, House Bill 1323, that would protect your information if uh, you're an Indiana holder or a holder of an Indiana license to carry handgun. We'll be right back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're here in our last segment. But uh, there's a very solid bill that's been introduced by my friend Craig Haggard, who's a new representative. This is his first term, was just elected in the last election. Craig is about as solid as you can possibly get on Second Amendment issues, uh, having uh, actually worked for NRA for some period of time. And, and he's also just a, a, an all-around good guy. He's a guy I've gone shooting with. I've shot clays with him. Uh, and he's just a, a, a good guy all the way around. And he's introduced House Bill uh, 1323. And what this would do is it would protect your information if you're either an applicant or a holder of an Indiana licensed carry handgun and put specific limitations on to whom that can be released to what government agencies and whatnot, and under what circumstances. Now, why should we be concerned about this? Well, first of all, when when records are held by a government agency, like the Indiana State Police, a lot of times they're subject to what are called Open Records Act requests. And we've seen across the country, uh, fairly recently, a newspaper in in Memphis, Tennessee, published a list of everybody who had a concealed carry license, quote-unquote, in Tennessee. And it was malicious. It was specifically malicious. Indiana's law already has some limitations, but Craig's bill would would make that much better. And we have. Uh, it was very spontaneous. I I think I pulled you out of a dinner, <laughs> Craig, and 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 and, and I, I I thank you so much for being willing to talk to us on short notice. Uh, and we're in kind of a short segment, but uh, but tell our listeners what it is you're trying to accomplish with House Bill uh, thirteen twenty three. Okay, yeah, no, no problem coming out of the dinner because this is an important issue. Uh, basically, what I'm trying to accomplish is actually a very simple um, word change in the current law about people who put uh, have gun licenses. And um, currently it says we can for uh, share personal information of, of gun license holders to federal uh, law enforcement for um, law enforcement, 
or police activity. It's very, very general. Mm-hmm. I just want to change it to where it says, um, and the bill basically states that to share information, it has to be an active, ongoing investigation uh, for an individual with probable cause of the crime that has been committed. So, um, I mean, pretty standard. We can, we'll only, we'll share, of course, we'll share with somebody who's committed the crime. And you have an active, ongoing investigation with a case file. But beyond that, we're going to protect our Hoosiers' information. And that's basically the what the bill is. Yeah, and there's actually an, an advantage for gun owners to the extent, let's say somebody's being investigated um, for uh, a gun-related crime, it can actually help that individual for the state police to confirm to law enforcement who are investigating them that they've been issued a licensed carry handgun. They've passed that background check, and the state of Indiana says they're lawful to possess a gun. That can actually help out a person um, who's under uh, 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 the subject of a criminal investigation by authorities. So that's not a bad thing. What what your bill does, and the reason I'm a fan of it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be there uh, hopefully when it's heard, and we'll talk more about that in a second. Um, when it's heard in committee. But uh, I'm a fan of it because it would put restrictions to to prevent that information being released in a way that can be abused. Correct. I mean, because it's not just about guns. I mean, yes, this one in particular is about gun information. But what if you have federal agencies that want to start gathering lists of of uh, folks that are pro life against uh, or pro abortion or or school board mem- uh, parents? I mean, it's just it's kind of that it's it's stopping the overreach. Of federal authorities to just gather a list of individuals, whether it's what you believe in or what you don't believe in, it's just still it's a slippery slope, and I just want to protect that information. It is, and, and I applaud you for bringing this bill. What what do you think the prospects are? How are you feeling about it? You know, I'm I'm thrilled. I mean, number one, as a freshman, to get a bill heard, uh, for, very very excited. Actually, it's my first bill <laughs> to be that's awesome uh, heard in front of committee, so I'm fairly excited, and. Um, I, everybody I've spoken with is excited. I have three co-sponsors or three co-authors, uh, Mike Speedy, um, Michelle Davis, and Julie McGuire. So that's filled up, and I've had additional folks who want to be on the bill. Um, I've had nothing but positive feedback. So I don't know. I feel good about it. I, I think every legislator goes in thinking their bill is the best ever. What's wrong with it until people start be- beating me up? But, uh, <laughs> that's, but, um, that's fair. I do think it's really it's a very simple bill. It says, "Hey, we're not going to not share information with you, but we just need to to put some some um, you know guide rails on this thing to make sure that it's for the proper reasons." Well, anyone um, who wanted to support this bill, uh, who and we have, Lord knows, we have listeners to my show, and we have members of the Two A Project, our gun rights organization, who show up and 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 they 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 take their own time and come in uh, to support pro gun legislation or oppose this anti-Second Amendment legislation, um, what, what you think there'll be, there'll be then an opportunity to, to testify at, at the committee hearing? Uh, well, everybody's obviously available to, uh, able to testify, either uh, register online or in person, uh, just sign the, the piece of paper. I know it's going to be on Wednesday um, in Courts and Criminal Code, and I don't know the exact time yet. I should know that, but you kind of pulled me <laughs> out of the uh, event. I, I gave you all 30 seconds of advance notice on this interview. So. I know. So, uh, but, uh, no, I, but I appreciate you talking about it. So, Well, that's um, awesome. But, well, let me let me let me leave you with this, and we've we've got uh, about a minute. But uh, how are you finding your first what going into your fourth week in the General Assembly? Is as uh, it did, uh, feel like you're you're drinking out of a fire hose, or, or are you getting through it pretty well? 
When I, I mean, I think I'm doing all right. It definitely is a fire hose. Not much different, though, when I was in the Marine Corps and going to new squadrons or new theaters of operation. But it's just, it's it's exciting to be part of the process. Mm. I mean, I'm a history guy. I love the process. I love the, demo, you know, democracy. I just love the whole process, and I'm really, really enjoying myself. Well, I, I have every confidence that if you can manage uh, flying uh, fighter airplanes, fighter jets for the Marine Corps, you can probably manage uh, getting your way through the, the Indiana General Assembly just fine. <laughs> and nobody's shooting at me in this, you know, at least in the General Assembly, so it's not too bad. Exactly right. Well, hey, Representative Craig Haggard, new representative this year. I'm thrilled. I was thrilled to see you run. I was thrilled to see you win. Uh, and uh, you're doing exactly what we were hoping you were going to do, which is going in there and fighting for our Second Amendment rights as well as other sound policies in the state of Indiana. So thank you so much. All right. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Absolutely. It. And that will wrap up this week's The Gun Guy Show. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. hope you come back next week. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC.